Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time that you've given us, that we can be here together. We thank you for the freedom in America, that we can put gas in our cars and drive to the grocery store, and we can gather to worship you this Christmas season. Lord, we remember the, the nation of Israel, even back in Jesus' day when they were persecuted and scorned how you brought Jesus as a baby, as the most humble, as even the high king. Lord, let us turn our attention to Bob's message for us this morning. We pray that it would heal our bodies, our souls, our minds, and give us hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, it's not complicated enough with two computers and a sound system and all these speakers, and we can't get it to work every Sunday. I got to add more junk to it, but uh, that's a that's a wireless mic. That's the direction we'd like to go and get away from all these cables and all this other stuff. You know, if I can find one that I like, this one was fifty dollars, so I thought I'd play with it. It's got a clip-on lapel mic, but it's not sensitive enough. This guy here, I have it turned off now, but if you get close enough to it, it'd blow your ears right out. So. This mic works, but the lapel mic doesn't. It's got an ear mic, too, and that works pretty good as well. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 16, Lord willing. We'll get to that point. Now, we've already been halfway through the book. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 10. So far, we've seen uh, on the... Uh, on the uh, these judgments, and I'm actually anxious to get through them. It's too depressing to go over this at Christmas time, uh, so I'm actually manipulating this a bit. The next two chapters, I'm going to I'm going to not leapfrog over, but I'm going to give them a passing mention. And if if you read those chapters, if you go home and you read those chapters, and it's the chapter of the judgment on the uh, false religion and the judgment on the world system. Uh, 17 and 18. If you'd like to go through the details of that, I have about eight pages of notes on each one of those. So if you'd like to spend some time in it in January, I'm happy to take you through the details. But today we're just going to, I'm just going to make a couple comments about it. But we're going to go into, we're going to finish chapter 16 first. Then we'll go into 17 briefly, 18 briefly. And I'm actually manipulating us up to where we can get to the second coming of Christ for next Sunday. I want to get to something positive. Uh, the first half of it is not positive either, but the second half is exciting. So that's that's what we're headed for. Uh, so far, what we've seen is sores. The, now, the first four judgments of chapter sixteen. Let me say. Let me back up a little bit. The the seven judgments that you find in chapter sixteen are the last of the judgments of God on the earth. That's the end of it. It finishes it. And these are total destruction type judgments. So it's not. It's not metered out in a little bit. It's not a third of the people die so that the other two-thirds will repent. It's none of that. It's, it's, it's total judgment on the whole world. What is left now are two groups of people. One large group are Christ rejectors, and the other group are tribulation saints. And there's only one sentence in this chapter to the tribulation saints. The rest of it are judgments directed at those that have refused Christ. Now, the first four judgments that we went over last week were sores. Uh, God, the angel poured out 
his first bowl and sores developed all over the beast worshipers and some speculate at the point where it starts at the point where the mark of the beast was the second judgment was the oceans all the oceans are turned to blood and i don't know if you've thought much about that uh during this week but uh the food food supplies in the world are going to cease to exist when the oceans turn to blood because the oceans are part of our hydraulic cycle and without them you don't get rain and without rain you don't eat so i mean when you think about it the next judgment is god is going to turn all the fresh water to blood now that would be irrigation if your irrigation system was still working at this point but the fact is once the oceans are gone all the food sources of the world are gone and then the fourth one finally is god is going to either turn up the sun or he's going to do something to cause scorching heat to where if you go outside, it actually burn you. Now, the next three judgments that we're looking at today are on the beast and his kingdom. So the first are worldwide judgments. The next three are kind of localized, the kingdom of the beast and his, uh, and his uh, kingdom. Verse 10 is where I'll pick up reading. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. Now, it's at this point, I believe, that Antichrist has moved from Babylon or Rome. I'm not sure where he's going to set up his main headquarters, but I think he's going to set them up in, in Babylon. And he's going to move from there to Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, I think at this point, this has happening in Jerusalem. Poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Now, back in Egypt, this was one of the plagues. And God commanded the darkness to be so dark that it was actually painful, that it would actually be so dark that you could feel it. It would be like being suddenly completely blind, uh, so cut off from other humans, so terribly alone that it would cause pain. And I said this, this is where we ended last week, that God is giving people an opportunity to, uh, to between the heat and the starvation, the loneliness and the darkness to experience a tiny taste of what hell must be like. And in the process of all of that, you would think people would repent. And as we looked last week, uh, and we see it again in verse 11 where we ended last week, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of the pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. To me, this is unimaginable. In fact... Uh, Honestly, for the next four chapters, everything is unimaginable to me. I can't, I can't imagine a situation where I would be in such pain that I would curse God, knowing that these judgments come from God, knowing that God is involved in this, and I would turn and curse Him rather than... I can't imagine it. But our world will get itself into such a spiritual condition that repentance will be impossible. And the only thing that's left is destruction. Verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now this is actually phase two of a judgment that happened in chapter 9, where God called the kings of the east to mount their armies up and begin to move against Antichrist. And as those armies have moved westward, They've come upon this obstacle, the Euphrates River, and they're waiting there until such time as God makes it possible for them to cross. I don't think it's that they can't cross. I think they're just waiting for the right opportunity. And I believe this judgment is going to provide the opportunity. It is said that they're going to have an army 
an Eastern army. I don't even know if I should use the phrase an Asian army, but we often speculate, since it is the kings of the East and it is East of Jerusalem, that these are Asians that we're talking about. And we often look at China because China is the only nation that we know of that's capable of fielding an army of 100 million soldiers. It's almost an incomprehensible number of soldiers. Do you know how many sea rations it would take to feed those guys two meals a day? Do you know how much ammunition they'd have to carry or how much weapons? or how they would move that army, how you would supply that army. It's incomprehensible to me uh, how, how it must be. In Vietnam, we had 500,000 Americans, a half a million. And the operation to supply those men was incredible with ships and airplanes. And there were seven people working to supply every individual soldier in Vietnam. Now, I don't know if you have 100 million soldiers moving across a vast continent the size of Asia, and you have seven people operating in support, you've got 700 million there. Well, China's got the people if it is China, but we don't know that. We just know they're called the kings of the East. At any rate, the details will happen in 19, which is next week, so I don't want to get too bogged down here. But God, at this point, this judgment is preparing the world for the last great battle absolute battle of foolishness, if you ask me. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. He didn't say they were frogs. He just said it reminded him of a frog. He saw something that looked like a frog. Now, I don't think that means that unclean spirits all look like frogs. I, I don't know what it means, truthfully. John is trying to describe what he saw. Remember, as I said last week, and I've said over and over, these are visions that John saw. These are mind pictures that came into his mind. And it's kind of hard to describe. At one point I, in, in my vision, I had a, a situation where it was like I was under the water looking up at gasoline burning on the surface of the water. And I could reach up and feel the heat, but it was like that. It wasn't that, but it was like that. You know, And that's what John's trying to say. John's trying to say it would look kind of like a frog. Um, and it came out of the mouth of the dragon and of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils. Now, notice the phrase there, spirits, plural, of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of Almighty. Now, this is, this is saying that the job of these demonic spirits are going to be to gather the armies of the world in one spot. That's, that's what they're there for. And when I think about it, I, I mean, of course, I'm old now, even when I was younger, though, with no food and no water. I'm over here in America blasting heat. If I go outside, my skin gets scorched. It would take a miracle just to get me out of the house, not to mention to pick up my M4 and go halfway around the world to fight a war. So that's what the job of these, uh, these demonic spirits is, is to gather these armies together in one spot. The armies of the world will gather, and it will include this army of 300 million, which isn't the sum of it. That's just one side. Now, we don't know how many America during World War II fielded 10 million, somewhere between 10 and 15 million uh, soldiers. So we don't know how many people are going to gather at this Vale of Megiddo. And they will settle in the area called Har, H-A-R, Megiddo. Uh, and Har means the, the hill country. And it's talking about the valley uh, surrounded by these hills in Megiddo. Two, possibly three, if you consider the kings of the south, 
There's the kings of the east, the kings of the west, and the kings of the south. So it's possible there'll be three massive armies that are going to meet here, and they're going there to settle who's going to control the world. They're not going there for a specific purpose of raising their weapons against God. They're going there to try to see who's going to take over the world. When they get there and when they see the Lord Jesus Christ, then they're going to decide that he is the true enemy and they're going to turn their weapons on the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, it's in the midst of this horrible battle that Jesus appears. And at this point, they turn their guns on Christ. And that will be the biggest and the last mistake they will ever make. Verse 15, we'll get to that in, in next week. 15, behold, I come as a thief. This is this little ducked in there message. And you know, I sat there this morning, had this all worked out. Actually, these notes, some of these notes go back 20 years. Uh, and I, I keep building on them. And that's, that's a mistake when you're preaching. But uh, I keep building on them. But uh, I, I sat there this morning thinking, I really don't know what he's saying here. I know who he's talking to in verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That's a common phrase of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling you that when the end is near, you need to be ready. He says that about a, a good man of the house. Watch, therefore, he says in Matthew chapter 24, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. There's a message for us to be prepared. Now, I believe the day is going to come when we're going to look up and we're going to be raptured out. And I believe that this message is to the tribulation saints. I believe it's not directly to us. I believe our job, as I've said often, is we're going to be up in heaven interceding for the tribulation saints because Jesus is going to be busy waging a war. So we're going to take over his job and he's going to take on the role of commander in chief. But know this, Jesus said in Matthew 24, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have suffered and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now that message is to us, the church, and it says we want to make sure our house is in order. It isn't enough for me just to be saved. It's important that my whole family is saved. It's important that we're all together in this faith thing. And that is our responsibility to see that each other are prepared. Now, this message that is to us was fulfilled in the rapture and we were raptured out. This new message in verse 15, I believe, is a message to the tribulation saints telling them the same thing. The time is short. Get yourselves ready. Get your families together and be prepared. Some of those people are going to have to move out of whatever he's calling Babylon, uh, Babylon the Great, and has opened an enormous amount of interpretation. Uh, but at some of those, some of these people are going to have to be ready to run for their lives, and they're going to know who they are when the time comes. So while the lost world gathers for one last great battle against God, the warning here is that the tribulation saints would gather and be ready for the second coming. Verse 16, and he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Har-Megiddo. Uh, Har is a mountain, and Megiddo is uh, Manasseh in Galilee. The, the scene of so many battles and wars that you could spend hours just delineating the battles that had happened in this valley. Uh, but one of the significant ones was an overthrow of the Canaanite kings by God himself. Between the elevation lies a valley 50 miles wide and 200 miles long. So basically, am I saying this correctly? Yeah, the valley is the size of Vermont. You get an idea of what you're talking about here. There's room for a huge, huge battle here. All right. 
Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Now, this is the third time, I think, that we've had voices, lightnings, and an earthquake. It's the fifth earthquake. By the way, this is the last earthquake. This is, you know, we've been talking about the big one, the big one, the big one. This baby, this is the big one. This is, this is a serious earthquake. This affects the geography of the entire world. And this shakes down every mountain and destroys all the islands, vanish in the sea. And the great city was divided into three parts. We know that, it, we know that Jerusalem is going to be split. We know that there, uh, there are fault lines in Jerusalem. And we know that when Jesus touches down, he'll be touching down on one specific fault line. And the cities of the nations fell. Cities of the nations, notice the plurals. We're not talking about a localized earthquake here. We're talking about a catastrophic shaking of the earth. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God. Now, Babylon the Great is a huge discussion. And like I say, I've got pages and pages of notes. If you want to go into detail, you can. I'm going to give you just a, a, a snippet view of it. Uh, to give her for the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, that's the next two chapters. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Every island sunk into the sea, and the mountains were shaken down. This is a serious earthquake affecting the geography of our whole world. Now, the, 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 the interesting thing is just about the time you crawl out from under whatever uh, protection you've been hiding under, and you think you've survived the worst that could possibly happen. And you're now, what, out in the street, right? Because you're afraid your house is going to fall on you or your building. You're afraid to get under anything, and you're gathered there by the thousands. I don't know how many people are left by this point. But just about the time you think you're a survivor, you notice it's getting cloudy, and then you open your Bible and you read verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. That's a hundred pounds. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. So just about the time you think you survived the earthquake, it starts raining rocks. Imagine a world so corrupt. You know, we, we pray for people that we... We fear are lost, and we should, because the truth is, if God doesn't grant repentance, they will not repent. The world will not repent. If God doesn't intervene in their lives, the world will not repent. In the midst of all this horror, they're still swearing and shaking their fist at God. Now, in chapter 17, God is going to destroy the world's false religions. What's going to happen is the religions of our world are going to amalgamate I don't even know if that's the right word, but they're going to gather together into one great world false religion. You know, we we Protestants want to say it's going to be the Catholics, and I'm sure I don't never heard Catholics preach on eschatology, but I'm sure they're saying it's going to be the Protestants. You know, and I'm pretty sure the Muslims are going to say it's going to be us, and we might say it's going to be. We don't know who it's going to be. You know, we have our questions about this coming world religion, but there'll be one religion 
and it'll be fueled by uh, the false prophet, and it'll be forced on the world. You won't have a choice in the matter. And, and she goes back to Babylon, and uh, Babylon goes back to Babel, and you're all the way back now in the book of Genesis when you're back at Babel. And she's called a harlot, the mother, the origin of all the false religions. And you can trace back every cult and every, uh, what's the word, uh, error, error, every theological error that cults indulge in, you can trace them back to Babel. Uh, so that's why she's called the mother. Uh, she's the source of all the false religions. We, we decorate our eggs, you know, and, and we find out that all the way back in Babel in the Old Testament, they worshiped eggs and they decorated them. And they had a queen called Eshtar that we call Easter. And she had a son that died. And his son was resurrected on the solstice. What is it? The winter solstice. And they burned a Yule log to represent his coming back to life. And all of these pagan ideas and concepts that you can trace throughout all of history can be traced through the, the, the mystery religions, if I dare say it that way, of Babel. That's why you see that phrase, the mother uh, of, all, uh, of all false religions. Anyway, what's going to happen here? Uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 16, if you will. I'm in chapter 17. If I've lost you, I apologize. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, they're the ten kings that are working in a confederacy with the Antichrist. These, these shall hate her, talking about the religious leader and the false religious system that's established, and make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, the world has never been any friend to religion, whether it's a false religion or a true religion. The world has never been any friend of because the world hates God. And God's going to put it in the heart of these kings to destroy this religion. And it's going to strip all her wealth from her and utterly destroy this false religious system. So much so that the only religion that will be left by the end of chapter 17, and I believe this judgment is tied up in 16 that we've just read. I believe it's, it's folded in underneath of it. So it's all happening at the same time. So man's religion origins and mystery Babylon will be utterly destroyed and the only religion that's going to be left on earth is the man that stands up and says I am my own God my works can save me just like all the way back in the garden Cain thought his works were good enough he didn't need some bloody old dead sheep to see to get in the presence of God his works were good enough that lie that comes all the way from the garden and even before the garden all the way back to Satan who said I will exalt my throne above the throne of the most high God who is he kidding who is he kidding he's kidding himself he's deluding himself Cain who is he deluding he's deluding himself he thinks his works are good enough that religion will be the only thing left man thinking himself to be the only God he will ever face, which is going to be proved also to be false, uh, chapter 19. Uh, so when we get up to chapter 18, we look at another Babylon. The first one was Mystery Babylon, and in chapter 18 is Babylon the Great. So I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to say 
that Mystery Babylon is the world's false religions and Babylon the Great is the world system itself, the world system that has set itself up against God. And after these things, verse 1 in chapter 18 said, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. So the false religions of our world are finished, and the only thing left now are men pretending to be gods, which are no gods at all. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now you remember, that's a prophetic statement, talking about the absolute nature of the destruction. Is fallen, is fallen. That repetition there indicates the suddenness of the calamity. And it was first prophesied that Babylon would be destroyed by Isaiah in 800 B.C. Hadn't happened yet, but it's coming. All right. Is fallen, is fallen, and become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Like Mystery Babylon, like Mystery Babylon is an amalgamation of all the false religions. I believe Babylon the Great represents the whole world system. Whether or not we're talking about a literal, physical city of Babylon, which still exists, believe it or not, a city, or it's talking about cities, which I, lately I've been beginning to think it's talking about all the major cities of the world. Because I think that a strike, no matter how you look at the strike, whether it's God raining down fire and brimstone, whether it's a nuclear strike, or an angel just dropping a big rock on a city, regardless of how you view the destruction of the city, the destruction of one city in our world will not destroy the world system. All right. Now, there's a lot of speculation on this, and there's lots and lots of books written, and, and I have all kinds of notes if you want to get into it, but it describes a physical city. It describes a physical, physical city that's a seaport city that the merchants can sit way offshore and will watch her burn, and in one day the entire city is destroyed. All this stuff was so hypothetical 100 years ago, people said it could never happen. And now we recognize, actually, it could happen. It could actually happen very easily. It could happen to New York or Tokyo, or it could happen to Beijing, or it could happen to Rome. It could happen to London. All of these could be viewed from the sea. Uh, and in, in, as I think about it in the last week or two, I almost think it's going to be all of them. I think it, well, if you're going to take out the world's economic system in one blow, it's going to take more than one city to do it. You take out New York and you take out the New York Stock Exchange and it would be a mess. But you'd still have uh, whatever that thing they call over in Europe is and England is and you'd still have the Tokyo Exchange and you'd still have, people would still be able to get along. They're going to have to do it bigger than that. Verse 3 says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, her impurity, if you will, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. This is talking about a, a world economic system that takes advantage of people and gets rich off the pain and suffering of others. That's what it's describing. The world system here is viewed from God's perspective as cheating and immoral. And when you dig into the belly of any major city, you dig into the belly of our world system, you will see cheating and immoral certainly describes it. Oh. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. And this is where the tribulation saints are going to be asked to leave. If it's cities, 
or city. I don't know that answer, but the tribulation saints are going to be asked to leave. And I believe uh, they're going to flee these cities before this destruction comes. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Her plagues come in one day like Sodom and Gomorrah. Boom. Gone. Sudden destruction. The result will be mourning and famine by those survivors that get out. Those that stay in are utterly burned with fire. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for fear of her torment. You know, I can't help but see a mushroom cloud over a city when I read this. Standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. For in one hour, verse 17, are so great a riches come to nothing. And every shipmaster and all the company of ships, you see why they say it's the seaport city, and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? Notice who's weeping. It's the kings, it's the merchants, and it's the ship captains who made themselves rich trafficking, immoral, inappropriate goods. Now verse 20 is where I'm ending it. While the city survivors weep, while the kings and the merchants and the ship captains wail the loss of all their financial capital and all their property, verse 20 orders us to rejoice. Now you know, I'll be standing there, I hope, looking down, watching my sailboat burn up, watching the house that I've been trying to finish for 40 years go up in smoke. My bank account is nothing, you know. The banks are closed. The businesses are all shut down. People are starving everywhere. Everything we cherish is gone. God is going to have to remind us that this is good, that this is necessary. So verse 20 reads, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. This is what they deserve, God said. You know, so whether you're a gladiator Christian who died in Rome, or you're a trafficked slave in New York, or you've been abused in one of the major cities, verse 21 says, A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The great cities of our world, I believe, plural. And when I read that part about a giant millstone cast into the sea, I almost picture a tsunami uh, affecting major coastal cities. Uh, the major cities of our world where every sin and evil work was found and flourished and prospered will be gone forever. So at the end of 21, 18, chapter 18 and verse 21, the world as we know it is done. The cities are gone, the mountains are gone, the islands are gone, the geography's all changed. Most of the population is gone. All that's left surviving are the armies of the world and these fools that are traipsing their way over to the Vale of Megiddo to go to war with each other. 
I don't even know at this point what they're fighting over. Do you? After a while, once everything's destroyed, what's left? What's left to fight over? What's the point? Uh, maybe revival would be the only hope, but they, they're not going to turn to God and repent. And it scares me. It scares me to think that all the people that we've witnessed to over all these many years may never come around. They may never turn to God. They may just turn their hatred towards God and never come back. So we have to remember to pray for one another. We need to remember to pray for the lost of our families, that God would grant them repentance before this time comes. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to worship and look into your word as somber and as serious as this message is. We recognize, Father, that your word is truth and our only hope is based in the promises in your scriptures. And we understand, Father, that you sent your son Jesus so that we don't have to endure this. He died and went to the cross, shed his blood so that we could be cleansed from our sin through by simple repentance, by confessing our sins and calling on Jesus. We would have life eternal with you in heaven forever, forever in heaven instead of this terrible, terrible end. So, Father, we ask that you would grant us repentance. We ask, Father, that you would grant our state, Vermont, repentance, our nation, Lord, we pray for our capital and our leaders that they would find truth and come to repent of their sins and turn around and begin to do what's right. We pray for our world, Lord, that you would save as we know you are, that you would save as many as you can. In Jesus' name, amen.